TTSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. That's 1 888 Ask CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's host. And hello, everybody. I'm Jeff Wickwire, sitting in for Mike Kessler. And uh, good to be with you today on To Every Man and Answer. We're here to answer your Bible questions as well and uh, decently as we possibly can. I know many people have them. I hated at the end of our show last time, yesterday, uh, we had several people still waiting, and I hope they're going to call back and give us their questions today. So if you've got a Bible question, and a lot of folks do, uh, we're in a crazy world, topsy-turvy, upside down, right is wrong, wrong is right. Good, bad, bad, good, light, dark, and dark is light. It's like, what in the world has happened to the, the world? Well, the Bible predicted these very things. And uh, so we want to answer your Bible questions, whatever they happen to be. I want you to know there's never a bad Bible question. If you there's something you don't understand and you really need the cobwebs cleared out and God to give you a, a better understanding of a scripture verse or a Bible concept or some teaching that you've heard, then give us a call at 8888-ASK-CSN. That's 8888-ASK-CSN. And we've got a couple of lines open right now. We'll get to your call, uh, no doubt, within the first 30 minutes of the program. And so, again, that's 8888-ASK-CSN. Pick up the phone, give us a call, get that question out, and uh, hopefully get it answered today. And with me co-hosting is Greg LeBlanc from Calvary Chapel, Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, while well, I love that area that you're in, uh, Greg, uh, Mount Rushmore and all of that, we visited that a couple of years ago, an amazing, it's just, you look at Mount Rushmore and you go, how did they do that? And you, you just marvel at the ingenuity that God has gifted man with. It's, it's something. But I know good things are happening in South Dakota. And Greg, good to have you with us. Great, uh, great to be on with you again, Jeff. Yeah, I had heard that they, uh, they did most of, uh, most of the carving of Mount Rushmore with, uh, with a pocket knife. Maybe two. Maybe they went through a couple. No, I'm just kidding. They did it with dynamite. Did you know that? You probably watched that, uh, that little I, I video. I did, I did know that. Yes. Yeah. Like 90% of it they did with dynamite. Can you imagine having to be that, uh, that precise? But they did it and then they did it with jackhammers, but we're talking almost, Almost a hundred years ago and the technology yeah. they had and the amount of, uh, uh, men that it required to be a, be a part of that. It's, yeah. it's something really whenever, something. yeah, whenever anybody comes out, we always take them yeah. up to Rushmore and, and the, the, the Black Hills are beautiful. Rapid City is in the center of the, uh, the beautiful Black Hills. So there's a lot to do here. There's great mountain biking and great vacation place. And, uh, lately lots of people are moving here. They're, they're vacating the coasts and they're, they're, they're moving Getting out of the blue cities. They're, yes. They're moving inland. Yeah. So, so yeah. welcome to the free state of South Dakota. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I, and I know God's going to doing good things to your church and, and, uh, the Lord is moving in spite of the gross darkness that is covering the world. We've got all the turmoil in the, in the Middle East, the horrible, despicable, really incomprehensible violence. Uh, being perpetrated by Hamas. Uh, just, it's it just, you can't wrap your mind around it. The, the uh, depravity of man 
and that man could do the things that they've been doing to women and children. And well, it's, it's a, it's a dark hour, but God is moving. There's always the silver lining of grace moving at all times. And, uh, what those sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so again, if you want to give us a call, uh, it's 8888-ASK-CSN. And uh, let's answer some Bible questions. So let's go now to Bob in uh, Kenai, Alaska. Did I say that right, Bob? You came close. It's uh, Kenai. Kenai, okay. That's a local, local uh, native tribe here. But uh, I, I hear all this uh, garbage from the university stuff uh, saying from the ri- – from the river to the uh, to the sea, and yeah. when I hear stuff like that, I kind of like to turn it around to be a positive. If I remember right, God promised the promised land was from the Euphrates River to the sea, and the Nile River to the mountains of Lebanon. Am I correct? You know, I'm not an expert on maps. It's I know that. Um, a, it's important that we keep in mind always that if the Bible is your authority and it's my authority, it's my ultimate authority in all things. And uh, so if you look at Scripture and what God uh, gave to Abraham, he was very, very clear. He 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 uh, spoke out all the borders of the landmass that would come to comprise uh, Canaan or the promised land. And uh, he's very clear about it. And uh, so God bequeathed that to Abraham and his seed. And Paul makes very clear that his seed was through Isaac. And, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ came through that lineage. But it's not through the, the, the descendants of Ishmael, but through the descendants of Isaac. And very, very clear. So it, it, the Bible really settles the argument that that landmass is uh, is to go to the Jewish people. And uh, so that's the way you look at it. And, um, you know, when they talk about, you know, from the river to the sea, and they are literally expressing the desire and the will to wipe Israel off the map, to totally commit thorough genocide, that the Jewish people would be no more. Not that the land would be occupied and stop there, but that the Jewish people would be no more. It's a heinous saying. And, uh, it's, it's terrible. And you, seeing kids on American universities, uh, saying these things, uh, standing behind the atrocities that Hamas has committed, it really just, it just boggles the mind. You wonder how this has happened, how we arrived at this position again of anti-Semitism coming on like a tsunami tidal wave. And after the Holocaust, a lot of people assumed, well, that was horrible. Six million Jews. But surely it's never going to happen like that again. Now that kind of, that woke the world up to anti-Semitism and nobody would dare go there again. It was such a shame and it was such a reproach. And yet here we are. So anyway, that's a, that's a great point, Bob. Uh, any thoughts, Greg? Yeah. But I, I love it that you're a Bible student and, and this will be good because the conversation is coming up because so many, well, 
solid Bible-believing, Bible-teaching Christians aren't having a problem with it, but there's a lot of people that just don't know that this land, all that land, belongs to Israel. And uh, and Bob, uh, for you and anybody else that's listening, here's your verse. It's Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. It says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt. So what river would that be? Jeff, what would that be? That'd be the Nile, right? Yeah, okay. the Nile. Yeah, yes. that's right. From the, from, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Euphrates. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> you know what that means? That means that basically... All of what we know as Israel, all of what we basically know as Jordan and Syria and at least half of Iraq, guess what? All that land was given, given by God to the descendants of Abram and the descendant of Abram are the Jews. Now, now one thing we have to remember is that I think the most of the land that was Unified under, uh, under Israel was about 10%. And I think that was either under David or Solomon. But, uh, but just remind yeah. people if, if they're getting all bummed out about, uh, about Israel, the size of New Jersey wanting to keep their land, just remind them that, well, <laughs> technically Jordan and, uh, and Syria, uh, portions of Lebanon and all the way over to, uh, to Iraq, uh, belong to Israel. So I yeah, hope and, uh, and what's interesting is that the Arabs control ninety nine percent of the Middle East landmass. And there's little tiny Israel, like you said, size of New Jersey, uh this little sliver of land, less than one percent of the total landmass of the Middle East, and yet every eye in the world is uh homed in on that little area and uh, the battles rage and it could even launch into a world war over that little sliver of land, which is exactly what prophets like Zechariah predicted, that in the last days that Israel would become the sore thumb of the entire world. And that's what we're watching right now. Every eye is on Israel, which remains God's ultimate prophetic timepiece. So anyway, Bob, uh, good studying. You're right, and it, it's nice to put a positive spin on it. And I can amen your your positive spin. Hey, uh, Pastor Jeff, could I give one more verse that sure. also confirms that? Yeah, it's Joshua. I mean, <laughs> got to put my glasses on so that I can actually read it here. All right, it's Joshua 1. Let me see. Let me see. I knew there was another one. It's Joshua 1, 4. So write those down. Joshua 1, 4 and, uh, and Genesis 15, 18 or so, but one four says from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the uh, great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So all that land technically belongs to Israel. I don't think most people want to hear that, but that's what God says. And, and Jeff, I know that you and I, we're going to always side with God. Yeah. Well, Bob, I hope that helps. Bob's siding with God as well. <laughs> Amen. Well, you have a blessed day there in Alaska. Okay, real quickly, what's the temperature? 
it's about 32. We've had uh, some <laughs> slushy, wet snow today. Well, here in Texas, we're at 86 degrees in November. Okay, I had to get that out. Bob, thanks for calling. And uh, you're in uh, freezing temperatures, and God bless you there in Alaska. And uh, stay warm, all right? Thank you, guys. God bless. Bless you, Bob. And let's go to now Robin in Franklin, Tennessee. Hello, Robin. How can we help? Hey, um, I called yesterday, but I had to hang up before I was able to get on the air. Um, a quick thing. I heard the last of, I think, the first caller where he was talking about a video um, regarding the stars and everything and how the yes. timing was with the wise men and all that kind of stuff. And there is a video that we watch almost every Christmas um, since we found out about it a few years ago that sounded like the same video, but it's something that came out. I looked it up and said it, it was published in 2009. So I don't know if it's the same video or not, but it's called The Star of Bethlehem. And it's a documentary of a guy that um, basically went through and was, he's not a astrologist or anything like that, but he had gone through and researched all this stuff and it was, it's very fascinating. And so we, we, I think we heard about it like maybe three, four years ago. And I think we rented it. We either rented it from our local library or we found it on YouTube or something and watched it last Christmas. So that part of whatever he was talking about, I believe is available now. That sounds good. And you know, I've heard of that movie and, um, you know, I've, me, my, I've, I've brought messages several times in, during the Christmas season on um, that star. You know, that, that star was an amazing sign from God. Uh, you know, it, it appealed to those, uh, Eastern, Far Eastern, uh, wise men who were not astrologers, but they were astronomers. They were professional scientists and they see this unusual star hanging in the sky over Bethlehem. And it, it so intrigued them. It was so compelling so magnetic that they pulled up roots and made a months long journey. And, you know, they didn't have uh, SUVs and, and uh, jets and all the modern means of travel. We do. They had camels and donkeys and uh, traveled on foot, but there was something so compelling about that star that God placed over Bethlehem that they followed it. And it came and finally rested right over the house where the the little boy, by now two years old, Jesus, was staying. And that's where they found him. And uh, it's just an amazing uh, account of how God used something um, astrological, something in the the sky, to uh, draw men to himself in a language they understood. They understood stars. And that's the language God spoke to them in and used initially to draw them. So, yeah. Great point, Robin. Now, are you familiar with that movie, Greg? I haven't. It's not the animated one, is that? I think that was just called Star. About the dunk, Robin? It's not yeah, animated, is it? I don't know. It? Yeah, no, the the Star of Bethlehem is a documentary with, where it's got a okay. guy in front of kind of a large projector screen, and there's uh, maybe like a handful of people, maybe 20 people in the room with him that he's talking to about what's going on. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yep, I've seen the I've seen the wood called star, but I I'll have to look that one up. Franklin, Tennessee. 
Robin, I almost moved to Franklin, Tennessee about 20 years ago. My pastor wanted me to go and take over a uh, a church plant that had been there in Cool Springs. Do you know where Cool Springs is? there. You live in Cool Springs? Cool Springs okay. A, yeah, because Cool Springs is like, it's not an actual town. It's a, an area within Franklin. So, yeah. 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 Yep. We, yeah. yeah. That's where That's I was. I was supposed to go. Yeah. Yep. Ended up in well, Rapid I hope City. That helps, Robin. It does. Thank you. Um, and I actually had a question. I um, that was kind of sure. just a statement I wanted to put out there. But the question I had that I've been wondering about. Um, I was reading in Revelation a couple of weeks ago, and I was kind of confused because I read where. And I might have misunderstood how, what I was reading or confusing verses together, but I thought it said that in the New Jerusalem, um, all the people who basically who love God will be inside the city, and nothing good will come in. Will be able to come into the city, and and then there was another part where it says everything outside the gates will, like all the people outside the gates, there will be gnashing teeth. And then, but it also says that the nations will bring their wealth into the city. So I'm trying to figure out if, if nothing evil comes in and only the people who love God are in the city, then who are the people outside of the city bringing their wealth into the city? Are they also people who love God who, but they just don't live in the city or how, how does that work? Well, I'm going to venture to guess that it's talking about the millennial uh, reign of Christ, where the entire world is under his rule and his reign. And um, the nations do uh, serve him as he rules out of the city of Jerusalem. Now, in the same token, when you talk about the people that are, the Revelations talks about people that are in outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, that they can't get in. They're outside the gates. And there are many descriptions of hell in the Bible. Jesus talked about it being the worm that dies not. Um, Paul talked about it being everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Jesus talked about it being like fire. There's many descriptions of hell, none of them appealing at all, all of them you want to avoid at all costs, but uh, many descriptions to uh, of the place called hell. And uh, maybe this one is is another description that they are outside of heaven. They have not been able or been allowed entrance into heaven. And so they are in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a description that Christ himself used in the Gospels, that there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place called hell. So my guess would be that's what it's talking about, those that are outside the gates and can't get in. It's a description of hell. Greg, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think, Robin, if I'm correct, you're talking about Revelation 21, right around 22 through 26. Does that sound familiar to you, Robin? Yes. Yeah, the part that, yeah. I, if I remember right, the part where the kings are bringing in their wealth yeah. was the later part, but I think the part where it talks about that the people outside the gates will be um, weeping and gnashing their teeth was a little earlier, like maybe, I don't remember what chapter, I'm going to guess it maybe around 18 or somewhere around there. Yeah, 
That was it. In, uh, in Revelation 21, verse 22, it says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty said that the Lamb uh, uh, and the Lamb uh, are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of, the, of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light. And this is what you're talking about. Verse 24, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in the light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut uh, at all by day. There shall be no night, and they shall bring their glory and their honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means uh, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is that the passage that we're talking about? Robin, is that uh, what we're talking about? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, people often ask, you know, who are those nations? And and I think, like Jeff said, he, that may be right. I'm not sure we can be dogmatic on it. But I think that the nations that uh, that John mentions here in uh, in chapter 21, like Jeff mentioned, I definitely believe this is in, during the millennial age of people who are still alive, who uh, who made it through the tribulation period. They weren't deceived uh, by the devil uh, after his temporary release from the abyss remember that during that thousand year reign and he's released at the at uh at the very end of the millennium and uh then it says that uh that you know these are these are the citizens of the new earth and they'll they'll come and go as uh maybe as maybe as visitors to the holy city for worship and and the question often comes up for these particular saints is um you know when do they get the resurrected bodies and and i'm not i'm i'm not sure we can know for sure uh when yeah, that will let be. me also add here uh robin that the word used the greek word used here for nations is ethnos and ethnos is where we get ethnicity or uh so on and so forth so it could be that though it says nations it's talking about various people groups are those that are saved the saved amongst the nations, the various ethnos, ethnicities that are saved. It doesn't have to necessarily be pointing to like America, Great Britain, Russia, whatever. But it's, it's talking about ethnos, the, the def, different ethnicities or people groups that exist on the earth. And so we could say it's the saved uh, that are coming into the light that will be in Jerusalem in the days that Jesus rules the earth. And so I'm probably going to go with that. We tend to, when we read the word nations, we think, ah, you know, okay, a whole nation, an official nation. But it can very well be talking about ethnicities. And when Christ returns, uh, the very in the in the second advent and stops the war of Armageddon, the very first thing he commences to do is judge the nations. We read about it in Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus gathers the nations before him. And he judges the nations. Uh, again, uh, is that the different ethnicities of people? I think it, it that's very possible. And so uh, the, the sheep are on his one hand. Uh, the goats are on his other hand, the left hand, the sheep on the right hand. So I believe that we could easily interpret Revelations 21, 24 to be pointing to the ethnicities of people and that those that do enter the millennium will indeed uh, go in and out of Jerusalem where the lamb is the light. There's no need for sun. 
no need for the moon, uh, no need for any other kind of light because the, the face of the lamb lights up that place. And that's what I think it's very possibly talking about. I hope I that helps, Robin. It does, but um, I'm kind of reading it as it happening after the millennial and after um, all that, like the last battle and all that kind of stuff. That's what I got it with, just because it was so well, close to the very, very end. Well, yeah, it could be right after the new Jeru- right after the uh, millennium uh, time period of a thousand years, the new Jeru- and the great white throne judgment. By the way, uh, the new Jerusalem is lowered out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. It could be talking about that moment as well. But uh, again, uh, you know, as Paul said, we see through a glass darkly. Uh, it's it's very difficult with some of these passages to come to just a, a fixed conclusion because it is hard at times to decipher verses like this. But I do think at least it's worth considering that when it says nations, it's talking about ethnicities and not official nations as we know them today. So, anyway, I hope that helps, Robin. It does. Thank you guys so much. All right. Thanks for calling in. And let's go to uh, Daniel in Connecticut. Hello, Daniel. How can we help today? Um, good evening. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen, if you'd help me, can, would you reconcile... Um, John one eighteen, where um, it said that no one has ever seen God. Um, and I was reading that, then I came across uh, Ezekiel, fascinating book. But in Ezekiel, um, in chapter 1, in verse 27, he kicks off with a, an amazing description of what appears to be God on his throne in a vision. So can you help me kind of, I'm missing something somewhere. Could you help me kind of put those two together? Well, Ezekiel is a book of incredible symbolic visions, no doubt about it. I was reading Ezekiel. I've been going through it uh, in my own devotional uh, just today. And Ezekiel was shown, you know, all these things, the wheel within the wheel and, you know, the the beasts or the, the creatures with four different faces, one of an ox, one of a man, uh, and so on and so forth. And so there's a lot of symbolism in Ezekiel. Now, when it comes to seeing God, when Ezekiel looked up and was given these visions, he did see a throne, but it doesn't say that he saw the actual face of God. He saw a vision of one on the throne, but it was not the actual face of God. We're, we're, we're up on a break. I want you to stay with us, Daniel. We'll be right back after just a couple of minutes. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back with more to every man and answer. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is frustrating. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. Well, MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price 
for up to 10 years. And it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. Very worth looking into during Medicare open enrollment, which ends December 7th. If you join right now, your second month share will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. In 2007, when Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, cried out to God, what can I do for you? The answer came loud and clear. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. But if we can get a mom into one of our clinics and show her her baby, and she has that uh, close encounter of the best kind in her womb, she will choose life. Preborn Network of Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax-deductible. Your love can save a life. Welcome back to To Every Man and Answer. I'm Jeff Wickwire, pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, good to be with you today. I'm sitting in for Mike Kessler, and with me is Greg Blanc. And uh, he's from uh, Calvary Chapel in Rapids uh, City, South Dakota. And good to have you with us, uh, Greg. And uh, we were, right before the break, we're talking to Daniel, who was talking about Ezekiel, how Ezekiel seemed to be explaining having seen God and when Jesus said in John 1, 18, no man has seen God, how can you make those, uh, how can do those jive? And uh, so I was just uh, sharing with Daniel before the break that uh, Ezekiel does describe seeing uh, a throne. He describes seeing a being, but he doesn't describe seeing the actual face of God. Now, Daniel, uh, on my little uh, note here, it says you were talking about Ezekiel 27. Is that right? Or are you... Coming from another chapter. Oh uh, no, it was verse twenty-seven. It was uh, chapter one. one. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. Verse chapter, uh, verse twenty-seven, chapter one. Okay. And as I saw the color of amber, as the appearance of fire around about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. Uh, so. As I read that verse, I'm not so sure he's talking about creator God. Uh, your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that you're exactly correct, Jeff. That um, it says that he receives a vision. He's not he's he's not seeing this himself. And it's similar, you know, what we read in uh, in uh, in Exodus. Remember in Exodus uh, 33, where they're about to go into the promised land, and and uh, and Moses is is saying, you know, hey, if you're not going to go with us, if your presence isn't going to go with us, then then we then we won't go. And 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 then it's those famous words that he says, Lord, show me your what, right? Show me your glory. And then in verse twenty, yeah. 
Remember what it says in verse 20. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. Exodus. God said, you can't see my face, but you can see my back. Yep. You can see my and face. No man that was, shall see that was me what... and live. And Daniel, I'm looking here. Uh, now in verse 26, it says that the one sitting on the throne had the appearance of a man. But again, it's not saying that that's God. Just that there's uh, the appearance of a man. And that's all that it says. It doesn't actually say uh, it was Elohim or it was uh, Jehovah, none of that. So since it doesn't say that, I've got to to go with that because, again, many times or at least several times in the Bible, we're told that you can't see the face of God and live. Moses wasn't allowed to do it. Nobody in Scripture was allowed to do it. Uh, And also keep in mind that when Abraham experienced the visit of the three strangers, um, when God was looking at uh, judging Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that two of the men, two of the strangers were angels, and one of them apparently was a Christophany, Jesus in human form before he was incarnated in the new covenant, because it is that one that Abraham bargains with, starting at X number of, of people, you know, if there's 50 in the city, 40, 30, 20, if there's even 10, Lord, will you uh, spare it? And he says, even if there's 10. So clearly, he's talking there to a a deity, and it was, I believe, a Christophany, what we call a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, so he saw him. But that's not the same as seeing Creator Elohim God face to face. And here in Ezekiel, it doesn't seem to be saying that's what Ezekiel saw. So I hope that helps at least a little bit. Uh, yeah, thanks. That's kind of what I suspected. I mean, there's several Christophanies throughout uh, the Bible, obviously. Even um, it's contemplated that Melchizedek was one. Um, so with that said, if I just may, so um, outside of the appearance of um, God in um, Christ's form, in human form, um, would he, would does he have a face? I mean, is that something we'll see once, when all is said and done type of thing? Because I know in you know, the new millennium and, and, and things like that will be with Jesus. But um, will, we, will we be able to see all three persons, do you think, in the um, once? Everything- yeah, it's interesting. God, in order to teach us about himself, he, he used human language, you know, talking about his hands, feet, his face. Um, but Jesus was clear that God is a spirit. He's not flesh and blood. He's a spirit. Now, what that spirit looks like, because, you know, when God talks about his eyes, okay, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ear is inclined to their cry. You know, does God really have eyes? Does he have ears? Um, I think that that's rather uh, unknown, because Jesus was clear with the woman at the well, God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, Jesus became, as God the Son, a man so to help us understand God on a level we'd never understood him before. God wrapped himself in skin. He became one of us. Uh, it was it, just the incredible thing that happened. 
in the incarnation. And so when God became a man, uh, he, he gave us a face we could see. He gave us a voice we could hear. Um, he gave us a person we could look at and follow. But God himself is a spirit. And so uh, I'm not so sure what we're going to see when we go to heaven. And we actually, now we are going to see God. And no question about that. We're going to see him because scripture says we will see him as he is. We will see him, but uh, will he have all the human attributes that we tend to identify him having? I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It'll be a, an exciting thing. It goes without saying to, to find out one day, but I think right now I, for one, am not so sure what he's going to look like. Greg. Well, I, I, I agree the Bible, you know, where the Bible is silent. So am I, obviously we're going to see Jesus and all his glory in a glorified body, similar to maybe, well, maybe even on steroids of what the boys saw at the transfiguration in, uh, in Matthew 17 or, yeah, Matthew 17. Um, but for God, we get, we get descriptions, hair like wool and, uh, that we, we just don't know. So it's best not to speculate and just to long for the day that we're able to see him face to face and to be on the right side of God. <laughs> uh, be yeah. sure that you're, yeah. you're right with him because yeah. as Paul said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands oh, of the living God. God. That's yeah. for sure. So Daniel, uh, great questions. I can see you're thinking a lot about the word and, uh, really some good questions and I appreciate you calling. If you'll stay on the line, uh, we've got a couple of gifts for you, uh, just for calling in and you'd be blessed there in Connecticut. All right, Daniel. Thank you. Yes, sir. You too. Appreciate it. Thank you. Let's go back to David in Nevada. And David, uh, you've got a, a little further question about Revelations 21, verses 24 to 26. Yeah, the, the lady there kind of took my thunder, but I just want to finish up one thing for Daniel there. Yeah, verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 4, and Revelation says, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their forehead. So that's, we will see his face. That's probably going to be in the form of Jesus sitting on the throne, but he is the embodiment of God. Anyways. Back to uh, the nations, you have to remember in 21 now, chapter 21, uh, that's after the thousand years is over in in, in chapter uh, 20, verse 7 through 10 is where you're now having Satan's done. Everybody that didn't believe in Jesus has now been killed and sent, you know, done. And 11 through the end of tw- uh, 20 is when you're, if you weren't, if you're judged, basically that's a judgment. So if you didn't believe in Great God, throne you, you get, yeah, yeah. And everybody, I mean, the, the believers, they get, the whole get their, their stuff and everybody else gets thrown into the lake of fire. So mm-hmm. the only people left coming down in the, in the holy city, that's in 21 that we're talking about. That's the holy city. That's all believers. So that's what throws us and everybody else off on this 24, whose nations, who are kings. And if you said it's whatever nations, not merely a good term, but still you have kings and they're going to bring glory what type of king is going to have any glory before God? I mean, I mean why are we going to yeah. have any kings? There are really no yeah. nations, you know. Yeah, we talked about nations uh, being ethnos, uh, speaking of ethnicities. It also speaks to Gentiles. And I think that one thing we're being told in verse 24 is that heaven's going to be comprised of Jew and Gentile. It's going to, it's going to have saints of all dispensations. 
Uh, the Gentile nations of the world are going to live by the standards of God for the first time. Uh, it's, it's going to be Gentile and Jew, and uh, it'll be just an incredible mix of ethnicity. And uh, so important to uh, point that out, because I think when we read nation, it throws most English readers because we think, well, it's talking about America, it's talking about Russia. But no, it's not talking about nations like that. It's talking about people groups. So Jews and Gentiles are going to be uh, in that glorious city. And uh, what an incredible, incredible place that's going to be. And, um, well, I look forward to that day because our world right now is in one world of hurt. You know, the old preachers used to tell the truth. And, and here's what I mean by that. They called this world a veil of tears. They didn't call it your best life now. They called it a veil of tears. And that's the truth. We're in a world that is a veil of tears. Uh, there's there's weeping almost behind every door. But the day is going to come. Jesus is going to light up that beautiful city. And Jew and Gentile are going to uh, inhabit it. All of the redeemed of all ages are going to be there. And uh, wow, what an incredible, incredible place and time that will be. But David, thank you for that clarity. And you're absolutely right. And uh, yeah. thanks for your input. Actually, anybody else around, it should just be believers, all Christians, whether whatever your ethnos is, and you're all Christians at this time. So it's just kind of strange that we're talking about kings and having some glory and all. So, alrighty, I appreciate you guys. Have a good yeah. day. Thanks, David. And let's go now to Philippe in San Antonio, Texas. Hello, Philippe or Felipe. God bless y'all. Yes, God bless you. My question for you guys: I had a question. I was asked in one of our Bible studies. We're asking to ask, uh, you know, when you get married, you have a marriage certificate here. And the Old Testament and the New Testament, they have a marriage certificate. The gentleman that asked me, he's not, he's been common law married, but he doesn't have a certificate. And he said it's, he don't feel to have a certificate since it's not in the Bible. So I would like to, I'm interested to hear your take on that. Well, he's he's wrong. Jesus spoke about this a couple of times in the book of Matthew alone, where Jesus says, and whosoever shall put away his wife, now that's a term for divorce, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Let her, let him give it to her in a legal document. Well, that assumes right then and there that the marriage itself had to have taken place, uh, in a legal setting and it had a legal document. So Jesus was very clear that when divorce happened in his day, you had to absolve it legally. Now, the way it was absolved in Jesus' time was much easier, uh, less complicated, which is one of the reasons he raised the bar for divorce. Because uh, in Jesus' time, if, you know, if the wife didn't flip the eggs right on a Saturday morning, uh, the husband could just say, well, you know, I'm done with you. He got a couple of his friends and wrote out a writing of divorcement, and they were there as a witness when he handed it to her, and she was put in the street, and it was that easy. And it just uh, was very unfair to the women. So Jesus raised the bar, and he said, except for the, the cause of fornication, if you if you divorce her except for the cause of sexual unfaithfulness, you're causing her to commit adultery, and uh, so right there, and that's why the disciples said, well, then it's good for a man not to marry. 
uh, if it's going to be this complicated and if the legal document is that binding, they didn't like it. They weren't used to that. So he, he's wrong. Uh, even in Jesus time, it was a, a, a legal document that had to be ended legally as well. So, uh, Greg, your thoughts. Yeah, well, we have to remember that Jesus was uh, operating under the Pentateuch, and the Pentateuch uh, says exactly what you mentioned, Pastor Jeff. This is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness, and that's basically a definition of iniquity, probably a reference to adultery. He has found some uncleanness in her. He writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out uh, the house. And when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, uh, and then, you know, just talks about uh, the potential for adultery after that. But but in the bigger picture, Jeff, you, I bet, in how many years have you been in ministry, Jeff? Forty. 40 years and your 40 years mm-hmm. of ministry. How many, mm-hmm. how many couples have come up to you and said, Hey, you know, we don't need a marriage certificate. And, oh, many and times. Jesus, and it was Jesus like, popped no, down no, in no, the, no. yeah, Jesus popped yeah. down in the kitchen one night yeah. and uh, just married us right there on the spot. So we don't, oh, have yeah, to we're, we're good with God. I've heard it many times. No, actually, yeah. you're living in fornication. That's and right. It, it's amazing that so many in our day really cherry pick the verses they want to go with. And one thing, our current culture, even our current culture of Christians don't like is the word fornication because we, we've got Christians everywhere, at least professing Christians, uh, living together w- without having been married. Uh, Jesus saw marriage as a legal document. So did Moses. So anywhere you go in the Bible, now if you go back to the patriarchs, that's something different. But once Moses arrived on the scene and uh, gave the law, then uh, marriage became a legal uh, undertaking. And Jesus carried on that uh, tradition, that particular law, and he clearly saw it as a legal document and a legal uh, a legal agreement between two people. So fornication is real. If you're living together and not married, then that is legally, then you're living in what Scripture calls fornication, or else what in the world is fornication? Because anybody fornicating can just say, well, we're married, if it doesn't require a legal document, and that does away with the entire notion of fornication. So fornication means sex before marriage. So I hope that helps, Felipe. No, that does help. I had a, the, when he, uh, he had pointed that scripture to me where it says, uh, and get divorced, you know, your, your certificate written. He, he addressed, we talked about that, but he said, there is no scripture. I tell him, at the moment, I don't know, but he said, I'll, I, I told him, I'll get, I'll do my research. I'll ask Raleigh. But he did mention there's no scripture as far as like that on the one that says about divorce. You bring a divorce certificate. But is there any, he kept on asking me, is there a, a, a scripture? Well, it's, in, it's in, yeah, it's about Jesus literally said that the man is to give her a writing of divorcement. That's a legal document. And in Jesus' day, again, what a man did was he got some of his friends for witnesses, wrote out the document, he signed it, a couple of them signed it, and it was handed to the woman, and it legally uh, 
null and voided the marriage. It, it was a legal document of divorce. So if, if marriage in Jesus' mind was not a legal undertaking, he would have felt no need to say, you've got to give her a certificate of divorce. So it's, it's all there. It's in Matthew 19 and other places in the gospel. It's easy to find. So I would just give him that. Can I mention one more thing, Pastor Jeff? Sure. Yeah. You know, I, uh, like I said, I, I think that you've run across these people many times. So have I. And this is not, this would probably not be the only place where this gentleman is, uh, is, uh, adding <laughs> or subtracting from the scripture. Romans tells us clearly that we're, as, uh, as Christians, we are in submission to the government unless the government violates a standard that God is, uh, that God has set forth. So the government has designated that we have a certificate of, uh, marriage. So we just do our best to yeah. abide and, uh, and, uh, and be good, good role yeah. models there. If somebody is in rebellion on this factor, I would imagine that that's not the only place, yeah. right, Pastor Jeff? Philippe, yeah, exactly. And Philippe, let me give you the verses. Matthew 19, starting at verse 4, Jesus is talking about uh, marriage. He's quoting Moses, so he's going back and validating what Moses said about marriage. And then he talks about that for uh, verses 4, 5, and 6. Then in verse 7, he says, or they said to Jesus, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement? And to put her away. So there, even those that uh, wanted easy, quick divorce acknowledged that Moses had said, it's a legal document and you must give her a legal writing of divorcement. So show him Matthew 19, 4 through 9. And uh, that'll, that'll settle it. Okay. And thank awesome. you, Felipe. Awesome. Thank you for a great call. Hope that helps and settles the issue. And let's go now to Paula in Deep Nevada. Hello, Paula. How can we help? Hi, pastors. Thank you so much for having me on and taking my phone call. You bet. Good to have you. Thank you. I just wanted to ask you, um, yesterday, you know, I listened to this radio station pretty much like all day, and Pastor Tony Evans had um, was preaching, and he said there was, and I, re- I don't remember exactly the verse that he went to, but basically he was going on about that when we go into judgment, and we see that when, if you're a newborn believer, that there's it's going to be like a movie that the Lord's going to play out, and he's going to weigh out your intent of your heart, the words that you said, um, just pretty much. And he was talking about like how he's going to put the works through, through the fire. And I mean, I knew that part, but just the way he was saying it, it just, it just made me feel like, first of all, it was kind of like scary to think like we're going to be right, you know, with Jesus looking at our, our whole entire life as newborn believers. For some reason, I thought that was for like unbelievers like I knew about the works part that he's going to try through the through the fire but it just mm-hmm. made me feel like like unforgiven almost like I don't know like getting up there and having to give an account of every word and you know this walk we do it faithfully but in like an imperfection and so it just I just wanted to get your perspective on on that 
um, sermon and what was said and like some encouragement too, because it just made me a little anxious. Yeah. Um, we are not going to answer for sin. The Bible is very clear about that or else why did Jesus even come and die for us? If we're going to answer for sin, uh, then woe to all of us because none of us is perfect. And, uh, you know, we do our best to walk with the Lord. And I believe that as you mature in the things of God and the things of the spirit, you do walk with Christ, uh, more and more successfully overcoming flesh, defeating the devil, living in victory, uh, conquering habits and so on and so forth. But when it's all said and done, when the rapture happens, None of us is going to be in a perfectly perfect condition, morally and every other way, uh, realistically on earth. Now, as far as how, how God sees us, he sees us through sunglasses, that is S-O-N glasses, that are tinted red through the blood of Christ. He sees us through the blood of Christ. So when God looks at us through the blood of Christ, we are indeed uh, perfect, sinless. But experientially, in our day-by-day walk on earth, none of us is perfect. So we're not going to answer to God for those things. When it says every man will give an account for his life, when when, uh, it comes to the believer, we're going to give an account of how we used our gifts, how well we walked with him, how well we served him. Uh, Did we invest uh, our gifts into the work of the kingdom? You know, you can always default to the parable of the talents. One was given five talents, one servant given two, and another servant given one. The one that was given five invested them and got five more. The one that was given two invested them and got two more. But the one that was given one did not invest it. And and so there you have a picture of how we will give an account for what we did with what God gave us. How did we redeem our time? How did we redeem our gift? Uh, did we live for him? Did we obey him? Did we bring forth fruit? And we will be rewarded based on how we did or not. And that's what it's talking about, giving account. But you won't be giving account for the things that you've repented of and uh, Christ's blood has covered. There's no way. Or again, why did he even come? There's no use for him coming if it was not to Totally, Jesus said, he that puts his faith in me and believes on me will not pass into condemnation, but will go from death to life. And that's that's the way it is. So uh, thank God for that. Jesus said in John 3, 18, whoever believes in him, that is in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only son. And wow. The hour is up, the very fastest hour in radio. We got to go, folks. Kristen, thank you for a call. Uh, your call, Greg, thanks for being with us. Good having you. Thank we'll you. We'll see you next yeah. time on To Every Man and Answer. God bless all of you as you walk with him. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 